If you have your Bibles, let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Well, I have enjoyed the music. I've enjoyed the food. I, I speak at a lot of camps. This is the best camp food of any camp I've visited. Is this amazing? I think we should make sure we let them know that if you get a chance. And uh, I think the camp staff has done an amazing job in spite of a lot of challenging weekend. And uh, so just as you see those folks, as you see Phil, Dave, uh, Willie, just let them know what a blessing this week has been. And uh, I also appreciate, uh, I don't know if you Pastor Tim, but I was calling Pastor Tim Capon. Uh, he does an amazing job in, uh, in heading up the IRBC here in Iowa. I think I love his heart. I think you just can't get around him and not see the passion he has for the churches here in Iowa. And uh, I really appreciate uh, Pastor Dave. Uh, we've got to know each other. I consider him a friend, and uh, I, I was encouraged when I'm around him. And uh, so I picked on him, and I, I thought about later, I shouldn't have done that publicly, but sometimes when you're a friend, you just let something slip out. So he has a South Korean side that's super awesome. And so, uh, <laughs> so he is, uh, he is a, he's a great, great pastor. And uh, I, actually, I, I enjoyed meeting so many of you here. And uh, after being here for six years in Iowa, it's funny, I, I didn't know anyone here six years ago. And uh, it's been a blessing to see what God's doing uh, in our state. And I think this is an opportunity to just be together and, and uh, spend some time in God's Word. So if you're here in First Timothy chapter 4, I titled this, A Picture is Worth a Thousand Words. You've probably heard that statement before. And uh, if you've ever put something together, if you've never bought anything from Ikea, Bless your lucky stars. <laughs> Ikea is a terrible store. And uh, you buy something from Ikea, it has a thousand parts, and really you just look at the picture and put it together, right? I mean, that's what a lot of guys do. And then you find out, what are all these extra parts for? <laughs> but um, Paul writes, if you're here in First Timothy 4, let's begin in verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by the prophecy with the laying on of hands um, of the elders of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them, that you may progress. That your progress may be evidence to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. This is a great passage on discipleship. And uh, we really want to unpack this. We'll probably mostly just spend our time on verse 12 and 13. But let's open a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the men who are here. And Lord, as we finish our time together looking at a theme of evangelism and discipleship, I pray that every one of us would leave this weekend committing to invest in at least one. Uh, God, that every man in this room, hopefully as they've listen to your word, that they would admit that your word is clear. We have to be investing in someone else. And God, I pray that as we leave, we would be committed saying, yes, I will invest and put a name behind that. But God, as we were challenged earlier, that it wouldn't just be something we say, but that it would also be something we do. Uh, God, as you tell us, faith without works is worthless. And God, if we leave this weekend and nothing changes in our life, then really this was a wasted weekend. But God, if we would leave this weekend and apply whatever you spoke to us about, burden for lost people, discipling a new believer in our church, investing in those younger than us, reaching out to the lost people in our neighborhood. God, however you have spoken to us this weekend, help us to follow through. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all want to imitate or follow someone. Uh, probably when you're a little guy, you wanted to follow your dad. I remember I grew up in northern Minnesota. My dad had sorrel boots. You remember those big sorrel boots? And he'd be stepping through the snow. Well, where did I want to step? I want to put my feet, number one, because it was easier. <laughs> but I wanted to follow his footsteps through the snow, right? And I remember I, I grew up, I know I'm a Minnesota Viking fan now, but when I was a kid, I was a Dallas Cowboy fan. And, and uh, I had a poster on my wall of Tony Dorsett and uh, Roger Staubach. And, you know, man, I just, those were the guys. And, and, it, and then as I grew spiritually, then there's Daco. Uh, I went to a Christian college and uh, I grew up in what I uh, say was the dark side of fundamentalism. It was very focused on follow the rules and you're spiritual. And uh, I went to a place that flipped that upside down. <laughs> and Daco was just one of the most real people I'd ever met. Ate in the dining hall with us, played hockey with us. Like, what college president does that? And uh, we played on a line together and uh, just had a great time. And he was just so real. In fact, we had a huge, you know, we were doing a lot on our 100th anniversary. And we had this huge dead tree in front of our building, if you've been on our campus. I mean, it was huge, maybe two sizes of this pulpit. And Daco was a logger back in the day. And they were going to charge us $1,000 to cut this tree down. And I said, that is ridiculous. I said, we'll cut it down. I have a chainsaw. And all my staff was like, oh, no, you know, you can't do that. So I called Daco up and I said, hey, how about if you and I sneak over on Saturday when no one's there and we cut that tree down? <laughs> and Daco says, great idea. <laughs> yeah. He just had back surgery three months ago. He's not supposed to do anything like this. But I said, if nobody knows, it'll be okay. So he went over, I mean, he, I tell you, he is a logger. I mean, he knew how to hook the rope around it. He's, he's tying knots faster than I can even look at him. We do, he makes us come along out of rope. We tie it to the truck to make sure it doesn't fall in the building. And we, we start cutting. And every time I start cutting it wrong, you take the chainsaw out of my hand. And here's how you do it. And, uh, and then we get this thing ready to fall, this giant tree. And he, we back cut it and he puts wedges in. And as he's hitting it on this, you know, then the tree starts to go and it comes down. And one of my favorite pictures, I took it, this was just three weeks ago we did this, not even probably two weeks ago. I took a picture of the two of us with that dead tree in the background and the grins on both of our faces. <laughs> probably number one because we snuck that through. But we love doing that together. And, and it's all of us want someone to look to. That's how God designed us. We all want to imitate someone. In... If you, if you go back to starting from the very beginning, junior highs look up to high schoolers, high schoolers look up to college students, young married men look to older married men, new dads look to old dads, young businessmen look to successful businessmen, new Christians look to old Christians. We naturally look for someone to follow. And I would just say, working with young people, we, people want to be mentored. By the way, there's a difference between mentoring and lecturing. They don't want to be lectured, they want to be mentored. Some people that mentoring happens lecture style. And their favorite verse is Hebrews 13, 17. Just keep your finger here, but go over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those that have the rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as though it must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. It's a true verse in the Bible, but if, if that's the, your go-to verse when someone has a question... <laughs> Someone says, well, why are we doing it this way? Listen, Hebrews 13, 17, obey those that have the rule over you and submit 
That's not mentoring, that's lecturing. Does that make sense to everybody? And I would say if you went back to verse 7 in the same chapter, remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. In other words, that's mentoring. That's living a life of example that others can follow. It's a picture that I can see that I can follow. In fact, you'll find in, in Scripture that Paul was very passionate about those around him imitating him. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. I wonder how many of us would even feel comfortable saying that. How many of us feel that my walk with God, I, I feel so confident in my walk with God, I could say to anyone around me, hey, just follow me as I follow Christ. But for a lot of us, we're not really sure we're a good picture. We're not really sure that if everyone's walk with God was like ours, if everyone's marriage was like ours, if everyone's work-family balance was like ours, if everyone was working with their kids like us, we're not really sure that that's the picture. And I would just challenge you, if that's how you feel today, change the picture. Get to the place where you could say, imitate me as I follow Christ. And as Paul says in many other places, First Peter 5, 3, neither is being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. Have you heard someone say, what you're doing is so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. God wants you to be a picture for someone. Have you ever put a puzzle together? The most important part of putting a puzzle together is the picture. Uh, we would do one puzzle a year. My dad would purposely buy like a puzzle picture of marbles. <laughs> It'd be like that thousand piece that was super hard and we'd work all it over Christmas break and our goal was by the time of Christmas break we put this puzzle together. But you wouldn't have a hope of doing that without a picture. There's no puzzle you can put together if you don't have a picture. You gotta, and then you start looking for the pieces and how does this fit together and how does this work? And God's very clear that this is how we're to be with the people around us. We're to mentor our families. We're to mentor the men in our church. We're to mentor our friends. We're to let people mentor into us. If you were here for DACO's session yesterday, you need a, a Paul, a pal, and a project. You need a Paul, someone that you look up to. You need a pal. We all need a friend. And you need a project. You need to be someone that you're pouring your life into. And DACO has practiced that uh, his whole life. Life is complex and puzzling. The good examples are rare. Every Christian man in this room should strive to be a good example. Puritan Thomas Brooks said, example is the most powerful rhetoric. A person's life is their most powerful message and must reinforce what he or she says. If example does not follow advice, the one giving it will, re will rightly be viewed as a hypocrite. In fact, uh, I was golfing with Tom. We got talking about that the other day. And if you say one thing and do something different, people are not going to listen to what you say. That's why it's so important that we are a good example. And all of us know people that have been bad examples. And, and I mean, you can think of very high public figures. Ravi Zacharias, who just came out this last year, considered the world apologist. And now they've pulled all of his books because it comes out that he was a bad example. He said a lot of the right things. In fact, a lot of the things he said are true. But his example spoiled that. And guys, that's why we got to be a good example. We got to back up what we say. 
And as we come to this text, a picture is worth a thousand words. If we're going to mentor people, then we have to be a good example. Don't think that mentoring is lecturing. Don't think that I can just tell you. I remember I was working with a kid. I was a youth pastor in Chicago. And I had a really rough youth group, very wealthy church. Kids are spoiled rotten. And I caught this kid smoking. And I brought his dad in. I don't know, I'm walking through this, and and not only was he smoking, he was being immoral, and I kind of went through the whole list, assuming dad knew. And dad sat on the other side of the desk, acting shocked. And I'm like, how can you be, like, I'm a youth pastor, I know all this. You're his dad, what do you mean you don't know he's smoking? What do you mean you don't know he's being, like, how can I know this and you not know this? I was shocked that he was shocked. And then I have no clue why I asked this question. This is a a guy who had been in our church for years. I don't know what prompted me, but I looked at him and said, you don't smoke, do you? And he put his head down. He said, yeah, I do, but I tell my son not to. Guys, your example is the best part of mentoring. As Jesus mentored the disciples, he just did life with them. A picture is worth a thousand words. How many of you have heard someone say, I'd go to church except for what? The hypocrites, I know. I'd go to church except I met a Christian. And man, they were a terrible example. I'm not really interested. Hey, thanks, but no thanks. I've met a few Christians and I'm, I'm not too interested. But boy, when you're a good example, I talk to you about our neighbors on the left, very different worldview than Joan and I have. But they would consider Joe and I dear friend. They go on vacation. They give me the code to their house. Take care of their... I have an allergy to cats. They don't know that. <laughs> so I take care of their cat. I mean, who gives you just the code to their house? Hey, and he says, hey, help yourself to the beer. Do whatever you want. <laughs> Thanks. I'm good. I mean, that's a pretty amazing trust level, right? I'm not sure I would do it that way. With I'm not sure I'd let anyone just say, here's the, here's the code to my house. Just go in and and do whatever you want while I'm gone on vacation. But that's taken a while of building a relationship with them that they say, hey, we know that Jim and Joan are good people. And it is sad, but it is true that there are people that will not go to church because of the Christians they know. Why? Because that picture was worth a thousand words in the wrong direction. And if we could walk away from this retreat saying, hey, we need to be reminded we've got to be the real deal i got to deal with sin. Number one, if you're saved, man, praise God, you're not going to hell. But what about those who are? And how are you going to point people to Christ if you're not going to deal with sin in your life? That's Psalm 51, right? What David says, after he gets right with God, now I can tell sinners about, I had no desire to do that when I was in sin. And so let me encourage you. The Greek word for example literally means refers to leaving a mark or impression left by an instrument such as a pen, a sword, or a hammer. It has the idea of the imprint of the nails. You pull nail nail in and pull it out. What you left behind is 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 an example. You ever have someone hit you in the parking lot and not leave their phone number? (laughs) But they did leave some paint on your car. (laughs) That's the idea of this. Leave some paint on someone. Be an example. It's something to see. Paul embraced being a mentor. Look what he says in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. 
He says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He says in chapter 4, verse 9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He loved being a mentor. He embraced it. And guys, we need to do the same. And you don't have to be a pastor to do this. In fact, hopefully you're mentoring guys, hopefully guys at work think you're a great guy. Hopefully they're inviting you out. I was talking to someone at lunch today and said, hey, it's a good thing if guys from faith and seminary would work a secular job. Because they'll learn, I worked a secular job. I worked asbestos abatement. I, the first ministry, I was a youth pastor. I, I taught teen boys, preached every Sunday night, led all the music. And the church paid me $100 a month. Well, you can't live on $100 a month, so I got a job doing asbestos abatement. And uh, asbestos abatement, very high pay, very low IQ. You don't have to have a college degree to do asbestos abatement. And we would travel, travel all over, and we'd go into containments where, due to the school or the, especially big plants, they wanted it shut down the slowest amount possible. So they turn their vessels off like one hour before we show up. We cover it all in plastic, and then we go in, and we have respirators on. We're in Tyvek suits. I mean, we, we, you're only working like half an hour. you got to come out and cool off. And the plant is saying, we need you to get this job done. We don't want anyone to leave till you're done. And we'd do 24-hour, 36 hours straight, get the job done, and our boss would be so happy, he wanted to take us all out. Now, where do you think a boss wants to take a bunch of construction guys out to? Not Hardee's, <laughs> right? That's, I want to take you guys to the bar. Let's appreciate all your work. And my very first Sunday there, I prayed for lunch. I just bowed my head and prayed. I looked up, all the guys are staring at me. And my nickname from that day on was Preach. They didn't even know I was an assistant pastor, but that was my nickname, Preach, because I prayed for my meal. I say, hey, Preach, come on. We know you don't drink. You can get pop, but just come out with us. Man, you've been working harder than any, because I didn't take smoke breaks. <laughs> You don't smoke, you get a lot more work done than everyone else. And like preach, I mean, come on, we know you don't drink, but just cut. And I say, no, guys, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. And you get working in those environments, and there's lots of ways that you can be an example, but you can do it in a kind way. And God comes to us, and Paul clearly embraced being a mentor. So what does a mentoree do? If you're trying to mentor your family, your employees, someone at your church, the young man that needs to see a picture of Christ, well, I think we come back to our text in 1 Timothy 4, and he lays it out for us pretty clearly. Verse 12, no, no one despises you to be an example to the believers. Be a picture, number one, in word or in speech. Matthew chapter 12, look at verses 34 to 37. Let's go over, well, I'll just read it to you. Matthew 12, verse 34. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Ephesians 4.29 The Bible says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Guys, what, your, what is your speech like? I told you yesterday as we left the golf course, Daco says, thank you so much, and genuinely meant it. Man, that, what is that? That's good speech. That was a good rebuke to me. 
What happens when you get mad? And I think Daco mentioned this in his session. When you get bumped, what comes out? It's what's on the inside. Are you an example of honest, uplifting, encouraging speech? When, when people are around you, are you positive? Uh, are you encouraging? By the way, don't, don't we all like to be around encouragers? Have you ever been around those people that are Debbie Downers? You know what I'm talking about? Like every, they're just the Eeyores. <laughs> and they think they're super spiritual because they're so sad. You know, it's great. I wish you could be a Christian. Don't you want to be one like me too? And Daco, he has so many great one-liners. And Daco said this, the inability to laugh is not a sign of holiness. It's a sign of bitterness. That is a great statement. And when you can't laugh and you think you're super holy because you can't laugh, no, that's not a sign of holiness. That's a sign of bitterness. We got flooded out several years ago. Just a crazy amount of rain in two hours. Flooded 11 buildings on our campus. We worked our guts out six weeks before school started. We The last apartment to get married students in, we finished on Saturday before classes started on Monday. Amazing. I could talk all day about the amazing work of God that was. People came from all over America to help us. There's just, humanly speaking, an impossibility. And God answered prayer in just crazy, crazy ways. But we were whipped. I mean, all faculty and staff, we were working. I was working 40 hours a week on physical construction, plus I still had all the president job stuff to do. Working all day, working all night. I said, Doc, we're tired. I mean, this is a rough way to start school. And Daco gets up to start in service. And he said this statement. You know, I've noticed that often when we want to change our circumstances, God just wants to change our character. All of us are writing that down. <laughs> Daco said this. Education makes you hireable. Brokenness makes you usable. I heard that all the time. And if you get educated and think education, and I tell our seminary students, you're going to learn a lot of things from guys who don't have degrees. If you're a good pastor, if you're a humble pastor, you're going to church and say, hey man, I can learn a lot from guys who don't have degrees. And Daco has mentored me so many in these areas of just great speech. He was up, we were doing a conference at my church in Canada I don't remember what the issue was, but I was walking out with Daco and this church member, and we probably all have them, right? You know, they figured out what part of the body they are. They're the armpit. They just come and put up a stink. And they're just like, couldn't you be a hangnail, a toenail? Do you have to be the armpit? And I forget what this person's issue was, but they were just ripped, and they came up and tore a strip off of me. Daco's standing right next to me. And they walked away, and Daco says to me, I always wondered what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounded like. <laughs> And you know, I was feeling so bad. And then as soon as he said that, I started laughing with him. I'm like, that's funny. Guys, do you see how much your speech could uplift someone around you? I hope you're not swearing. And sometimes when you work with unsaved guys, again, I work with unsaved guys, I swore all the time. I remember one time this guy came in, you blankety blank can't do that without even thinking. I was like, you blankety blank can. I was like, I can't believe I said that. And guess what the news was at lunch? Preach swore. <laughs> and I apologize. I said, man, I, I don't even know where that came from. But guys, what's your speech like at home when no one's around? 
Are you encouraging to the people around you? Are you honest? Is it uplifting? I've been careful, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. I had a couple come in my, I mean, new believers are so awesome in so many ways. This couple got saved, their marriage is a mess. They came in my office and so we got a big marriage problem. I said, what is it? Well, we fight all the time. I said, well, like how often? Every single day. I said, okay, when you say like fight every single day, like, like what do you mean? Well, we yell and scream and call each other names every single day. I said, yeah, that's a fight. Yep, that's, that's a fight. I said, well, let's work on that this week. And I had to memorize this verse. I said, I want you to memorize, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth without which is good the use of edifying. Let me minister grace to the hearers. Gave them some homework. I'm expecting improvement. They come back in my office the next week and I said, okay, guys, tell me about your week. How'd it go? I said, it was amazing. Best week we've ever had. I said, well, that's so encouraging. I said, how many times did you fight? And they looked at me and said, none. I said, don't lie to me. Like, I mean, I'm your pastor. Like, I mean, I can't help you if you're not going to be honest. Like, yeah, don't, it's okay. You can be honest. I'm going to keep counseling you. Just, just be honest. And I said, no, we, we didn't fight at all. I said, come on. You told me last week that you fought every single day for over a year, and you're telling me that you went out of my office and you haven't fought since the last time we met. They looked at each other and said, yeah, that's what we're telling you. And I said, why? And they said, well, you showed us in the Bible. It says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth for that which is good to the use of edifying. I wanted to go around the desk and hug them both, Right? Wow, you just read the Bible and believed it? That's crazy. I want to challenge you guys. Are you a good example in speech? Not only in speech, but he says in conduct. A godly life brings power and authority to a man's message. People tend to follow how a man lives, the picture they see, far more than what they say. A biblical message paired with an ungodly lifestyle is nothing but hypocrisy. In James 3.13, the Bible says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 1 Peter 1.15, But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The song we just sang before I came up, Holy, holy, holy. 1 Peter 1, verse 15, But as he who has called you holy, be holy in all your conduct. Uh, if you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. How are people going to observe your good works? What does that, if they're going to observe your good works, what does that have to mean? You have to be spending time with them, right? How, how can they observe something they never see? So if you're going to invest some, if you're going to be a good example, that means you've got to spend some time with them. Whether it's a lost person, some, but who are you spending time with? Would you leave this retreat and say, there's one person that I'm going to start intentionally spending time with? I mean, there's no other way they can see your good works if they don't spend any time with you. In chapter 3, verse 16, Peter says, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, in conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You must be available to be seen. Daco played hockey, ate in the dining hall. He picks up the phone. You know, I, I wasn't kidding about Michael Jordan. Like, Daco's a big dog. But anytime I've been in trouble, he's one of my seven counselors. Any time. And if he doesn't pick up the phone, he will always call me back. But most of the time, he picks up the phone. And guys, if you're going to invest in someone, you've got to pick up the phone. You got to say, hey, you can call me anytime. And unless, and I, I have a few people that 
My secretary knows. My family's one of them. I have a few close friends that just say, doesn't matter what's going on, if they call, because they know this, right? So if they call and interrupt a meeting, I know it's important. I just say, hey, we're always taking that call. doesn't matter what's going on. You put that call through. You're going to have to be available. And if you're going to do that, guys, it's going to take time. This is why we aren't good mentors. Because most of us think we don't have time for this. But God says you've got to invest in what matters. You could, you could rebuild a car and spend all that time. Nothing wrong with rebuilding a car. But if you did it all by yourself and you never mentored anyone on the journey, that didn't matter for eternity. We're going to have to, some of us aren't going to golf as much as we used to golf. Some of us aren't going to do all the things we used to do because we're investing it in a different place. Redeem the time. We all only have so much time, and so we're going to have to do things a little differently. Now my kids are all out of the house. I have a little more time now. But you're going to have to pick up the phone. Daco lived in the center of campus, and as now that I'm a college president, I think that is nuts. I have no idea how he did that. If you ever visited Northland, his house is in the middle of campus. He had people in his house all the time. He has crazy stories of people who just walked in his house. They thought it was part of their house. And let me encourage you, though, that's what made Daco so effective as a mentor. There's so many people my age in so many different ministries who say, Daco mentored me. Why? He spent, he left some paint on me. Not only in speech, but also in conduct. I would also say Daco is fun to be around. If you're perpetually crabby, no one will want to be around you. How do you handle pressure? You know, some people handle pressure terribly, and then you say, and they just, well, it's because I'm under pressure. <laughs> like, that's Okay. You know what our young people today need to see? They need to see godly men who handle pressure for a lifetime. They need to see Dacos, who's turning 80, who's spent his whole life in ministry. They don't need to see more guys who do the Christian life for a short time. They need to see a bunch of men who do the Christian life for a lifetime. Anybody can do it for a short time. And man, that... My ministry's been challenging. Your ministry's been challenging. There's lots of hard things. There's lots of reasons to quit, Right? And if you quit when the going gets tough, how is that any encouragement to the people following you? I would even challenge you, that's discouraging. Because all the people that look up to you, when you quit when it's hard, you know what they think? Man, they're going to have hard things too. So what are they going to do when it's hard? And dads, if you have kids, you can't quit when it's hard. Marriages are going to have ups and downs. Sweet Tea and I have not just had this perfect bed of roses. And in the hard times and the good times of marriage, you you stay committed. I made a commitment. And our kids need to see that. Like what um, one counselor said, be careful what you choose and how you muse when you lose. When things don't go right, be careful what you choose and what you think about how you muse when you lose. Are you an example in conduct? Thirdly, in love. He says the believers would be an example in word, in conduct, in love. Biblical love involves self-sacrificing service on behalf of others, regardless of how one feels. I don't know about you, this is not natural to me. Man, is it easy to sacrifice to others when you don't want to? 
Because if you want to, we really don't call it a sacrifice. <laughs> but it's when we don't want to. When you know it's the right thing. You ever come home from work, you're absolutely tired, and you see your kid do something that you've told them not to do, and you just want to pretend you didn't see that? Or you want your wife to deal with it? Instead of saying, no, I, I have to give in sacrificial love, regardless of how one feels. It requires one's time and energy. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. You need to love people when they mess up as much as when they hit it out of the park. I know it's hard to believe, but I did some really stupid things when I was in college. I initiated the only food fight that happened on our campus. Uh, and as I say at my school, if there's a rule in the handbook, it's because someone was an idiot in the past. <laughs> and uh, they had a rule that you could throw someone in the pond if you got engaged. And I was always a big instigator on the people throwing people in the pond. And then I got engaged, and a lot of people remembered that. <laughs> and so it didn't count. They could take you down, set you on the dock. If you didn't go in the water, it didn't count. And these guys made the mistake of coming up behind me first day they could do it, and they pinned my arms behind my chair like this at lunch. And, we were having, and back in my day, we had to wear a coat and tie to class. So everybody's wearing a suit coat. Everyone's wearing a tie. They pinned my arms, and we're having taco salad. I have a whole plate of it. And I could move this hand, and I could grab my plate. So I took my plate and flung it backwards on this guy, taco salad all over his suit coat and tie, and they let go of me. And then I stood up, and when I did, 50 other guys stood up. And it was game on. <laughs> I started flinging food as fast as I could. I grabbed all the plates around me. I'm flinging food. There was faculty rows sitting right behind us. I flung a whole plate of taco salad. The vice president's wife had turned around to see what was happening. A little bit went off the shoulder, and the whole plate hit her right in the face. At that point, I knew I was all in, so I just kept going. Yeah, I, was a, I was taking glasses of pop, boosh, in the face, over spray going over the faculty. Faculty are trying to run for their lives. And when I ran out of food, they got me. They were so mad, they choked me. They, they, I burst all the blood vessels in my face because I fought so hard. I mean, I got loose on the beach. They pounded me in the sand, threw me in the lake. I mean, we have a clear rule in the catalog, back, even back then, that horseplay can get you kicked out. And just like I feel at our school, there's a difference between stupid and sin. That was stupid. It wasn't sin. And I got called in, and, and they said, Jim, we're going to let you stay in college. That's a blessing. But you're going to have to dry clean all the faculty clothes. No problem. I started with the vice president's wife. I said, hey, I'd like to dry clean your dress. She said, you don't have to do that. I'll take care of it. The messiest faculty member we had, he gave me three sets of clothes to dry clean. <laughs> I, like, I don't think you were wearing all of those when I was thinking food. <laughs> but you know what? There was a president who said, hey, he's an idiot, but we're going to let him stay. And I wish I could stand here and say that was the only dumb thing I did in college. I had a few others. But Daco just said, hey, we're going to keep working with this guy. And God's allowed me to have a really wonderful ministry because someone said, I'll keep loving. And when you're mentoring someone, they're going to do stupid things. We had, a lot of you pastors know we had a small outbreak on our campus last year. We had no cases for the first seven weeks of school, and then in one weekend it just blew up. And uh, Dr. Sim was there as scholarship weekend. We bring him in. And uh, we have like the heads of all our department and we, we tell, and we found out 89 of our students had direct exposure to these who'd 
who for sure had COVID. And Dr. Sim says, you got to shut your campus down. I said, well, Dr. Sim, what does that mean? He means that means you quarantine everyone. They can't go to church for two Sundays. You have to cancel classes all of next week. By the way, this is the start of homecoming weekend. Parents have driven from Ohio to see their kids play. I'm like, Doc, that's a terrible idea. What's my other option? He says, you don't have another option. you got to do this, and then you'll know about 10 days how many other kids actually have it. So I went in on Friday. I said, students, here's the deal. we got to quarantine our campus. You can't go to church for two Sundays. I took so much grief. I had pastors say I didn't care about the local church. And I'm like, oh, my word. If I put these kids everywhere, it'd kill the local church. I don't know what's going to happen. So I was really clear. Students, you got to stay in your room. Just go to dining hall, get your food, come back to your room, quarantining for 10 days so we find out how far this has spread. Well, 30 of our students chose to go to Sailorville Lake that weekend and go to McDonald's on the way back and post on social media. You can imagine the love letters I got from parents who saw that. They were furious. I mean, parents wanted to kill me. And they're just like, you know, how can you let? I said, I didn't let them. They're idiots. They didn't ask my opinion on that. And I was so smoked. I mean, I was going to go into chapel and let them have it. And I called, I have a, you know, Paul, Doc Rose, my Paul, but I have a pal. I called my pal and he said, Jimmy, when we were 18, we'd have been in that group at Sailorville. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. So when our students, I said, guys, that's stupid. It's mostly stupid you post it on social media. That's the part I'm bugged about the most, right? But that was so stupid. What were you thinking? Well, they're 18 to 22-year-olds. They're not always thinking, right? And so if you give up on them because they made a mistake, they'll never get to be what they could. By the way, aren't you glad God keeps mentoring you when you mess up? And so you take someone under your wing and you start helping them. And they do something really stupid. That doesn't mean I give up on them. I have three kids. Have my kids done stupid things? Has my son used my golf clubs for something that isn't golf? <laughs> Have I come home and found tools left outside? And my kids have done some stupid things. But man, I have three great kids. And they've married three great spouses. And I'm going to keep loving them. And if you're going to only mentor people that do it perfectly all the time, you're never going to be a mentor. Because everyone's going to mess up, including us. Continuing on in love and spirit. We'll go quickly as we finish up. This describes passion as James describes effectual, fervent prayer. We need an example that, of the right passions. If all we seem to get passionate about is sports, cars, work, hunting, we're not a good example. Man, a lot of us get passionate. But I had someone try and put a Packers hat on me. That's 13 years of bad luck if you do that. You probably didn't know that. But, uh, but we're passionate about our sports teams. We're passionate about all kinds of things. But does your family know you're passionate about God? Do your friends know you're passionate about God? Do they ever see, my dad, again, old school, he'd do anything for you. He got saved when I was five years old. He had a Thompson Chain Bible. Guess what I use? Thompson Chain Bible. Why? Left some paint on me. I can tell you the times I saw my dad work hard all day and he'd come in and he'd have his devotions. And he was the kind of guy that if he tore a page in the Bible, he'd get a scotch tape out and tape it back together and just kept the same Bible. He was the guy that was always fixing everything at the church when something broke. He would help everybody else out. Taught mechanized agriculture. He was the true MacGyver. He could fix and do anything. But I can't say how many times I saw him read his Bible. He was passionate about this. He used to tell me, Jim, I don't care if you're a ditch digger. In my dad's mind, ditch digger is the worst job you can get. 
I don't care if you're a ditch digger. As long as you love God, I'll be proud of you. And guys, I think too often our family and the people at our church, what are we talking about in the foyer of our church? And is it about God? Is it about the sermon we just heard and what a blessing it was and how it challenged our hearts? Or is even at church all we talk about is non-spiritual things? It's not that we're not passionate. Every guy in this room is passionate. But are we passionate about the right things? And I would just say great examples can be passionate about both. Doc O loves the Red Wings. He loves hockey. He loves hunting. And he's very passionate. You get him on any of those topics. He's super passionate. And he's great. Great hockey player. Logging. I mean, he just took down a huge tree two weeks ago. But he also talks about the Lord. And guys, do your kids know you're passionate about God or do they just know you're passionate about sports or your car or your job? And the Bible says good examples. They're fervent in spirit. They're passionate about the right things, but I believe you can be passionate about both. Then he says in truth, or excuse me, in faith, in love and spirit and faith. The idea here does not refer to belief, but to faithfulness or unswerving commitment. The picture has to stay the same to be helpful. Could you imagine if you're trying to put a puzzle together and the picture changed halfway through the puzzle? The only way a picture is helpful is if the picture doesn't change. You're going to have to be faithful for a long time. Daco has been that to me. He's still married to Charlene. He stayed in ministry despite personal and corporate heartbreaks, of which I'm very familiar. He's gone through a lot of junk. In spite of all the junk and all the hardship and all the tough things, which I think can cause him to say as he leaves a golf course after four holes, thank you, I really enjoyed this today. Boy, and I just think, you know what? That's in faith. It's faithfulness. And the picture can't change. I've watched him endure hardness, and he does not quit. Men don't stay in marriage. People don't stay in church. We need examples of men committed to the right things for a lifetime who won't quit when it's hard. Because, guys, we all know it's going to get hard. All of us have moments when it's really hard. And God says, hey, will you still be a good example even when it's hard? That's when our young people need to see it the most. And then in the hard times of my life, guess who I want to call and talk to? <laughs> Daco. Hey, Daco, I got a, I got a problem. It's a pretty big problem. Have you noticed that your big problems are always big to you? <laughs> Have you ever listened to someone else's problem and go, that's not really a big problem. <laughs> but when it's your problem, it's a big problem. And that's why you need someone to talk to. You need that Paul in your life. Lastly, impurity. In spirit and faith, impurity. It refers to purity in the area of sexuality, both in actions and the intentions of the heart. We must be dealing with lust. We need safeguards in our life. We need examples that show us it can be done. Not every guy has a secret porn problem. I would say, though, that unless you're stronger than Samson, smarter than Solomon, and a man after God's own heart better than David, you and I need to be careful. Satan took all three of those out. I mean, this is a man after God's own heart, guy with incredible wisdom and incredible strength. And if he could take those guys out, he can probably take us out. So guys, we need to deal with it. I hope that if you're struggling with pornography, you go home and talk to your pastor or talk to a close friend and say, hey, I got to get honest. I got to have a victory over this. 
I hope you're faithful to your wife. You know, whenever someone has an affair, it's not that guys can't be creative. When guys have affairs, the girl they're having an affair with goes, man, he's super creative. I mean, he's planning secret rendezvous. He's planning hotel rooms. I mean, he's making all this happen. And when a wife finds out, she's like, that can't be my husband. I've been married to him all these years. He's never been that creative with me. Guys, it's not that you can't be creative. And guys, if you've been married a while, maybe it's time to put some spice back in your marriage. When's the last time your wife got a romantic letter from you? Not on her birthday or your anniversary. When's the last time you planned something that was very romantic and very special? Everyone who has affairs does it. Don't take your wife for granted. And I was just thinking, when you're starving, everything looks good. But when you go to a steak place, you have a great steak, you got the baked potato, you got the bread, you got everything, and they say, would you like dessert? I'm always like, oh, no, I can't. I'm so full. And when you're satisfied at home and the dessert walks by, you're full. But if nothing's happening at home, anything looks good. And guys, I believe that's your responsibility to work on that. It does take two. I believe that. But at least, guys, are we doing our part to be pure? And then he says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation and doctrine. To be this kind of example, one was... <laughs> to be this kind of example, one must give attention to reading. It was to be a way of life. I think today's generation is suffering from spiritual anorexia, a loss of appetite for the truth of God's word. You and I must be in God's word every day. You can't be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. And I believe not only do you need to read the Bible, but you need to read good books. Three out of four books purchased from a Christian bookstore today are purchased by women. Our generation of men has stopped reading. The average man buys a book and never gets past the third chapter. That's a crazy statistic. When's the last time you read a whole book that wasn't Louis L'Amour? <laughs> I said, man, I, I read a book that was out of spiritual area. I read the whole thing cover to cover. The average man has a commitment to read through the Bible in a year, and that's why most of us have read the book of Genesis more than any other book in the Bible. And God says in this text, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, encouragement to others. That's what exhortation, encourage them, you can do it. And Doc has been a great encouragement to me. Jim, you can do it. Who are you coming alongside of and saying, hey, you can do it? It's so important. I can think of the people that have done that to me a couple times in my life. I'm generally a pretty optimistic person. But there have been a few times I've been really, really down. And those people that come along and encourage you and say, hey, don't quit. You can do it. And God says, hey, who are you doing that for? Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Has the idea of teaching, the systematic explanation of the word of God. If you were here for Daco's lesson, his first X was the exposition of God's word. Guys, I'm, I work with college students, and I can only speak for college students, but I'm telling you, college students are crying out for these kind of examples. College students are begging for someone to mentor them. If you hire an assistant pastor, that assistant pastor doesn't want to be lectured. He wants to do life with you. He wants you to come alongside and be an example 
He wants to spend time with you. And if you're going to mentor someone, it's going to take some time. I would just say, we, if we all have the same amount of time, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you could give two hours a week? You just think about your schedule, what you're doing right now, and say, I could give two hours a week to invest intentionally in someone else. I personally think that's not asking too much. I don't think that's crazy. You know, that might mean you have to watch one less football game, which lasts longer than two hours. Say, but I'm willing to either add this to my schedule, but I'm going to go away from this retreat, and I'm going to try and invest two hours a week in someone. It would be a change that is so desperately wanted by so many people. Whether you invest in the lost people, whether you invest in guys in your church, where you say, hey, I'm going to invest two hours a week. It would make a big difference. I appreciate your attention. I went way too long today. And I never want to take advantage just because there's nothing else after this session. <laughs> but thank you for your attention. Let me close in prayer and I'll turn it back over to Pastor Dave. Oh God, as we come before you, we thank you for this weekend. What a, just thank you for this camp. What a wonderful blessing that they've been to us. Great food, great facilities. God, we thank you for the conversations we've had. Probably they have been as helpful as any session. Just getting to spend time with guys in our church, getting to spend time with friends. And God, I pray that if you spoke to our heart that we would walk away from this retreat. Lord, I do pray that you challenge all of us to give two hours of our week. God, if we multiply seven times 24, we're not asking for too much. God, but what a difference it can make in the life of someone. And God, maybe there's high schoolers here who say, well, who, well, they can invest in a junior hire. Maybe there's a junior hire here. They can invest in a middle school. Maybe there's someone who doesn't have kids anymore. They can invest in someone who just has a newborn. But God, help us to leave this retreat passionate about discipleship. Help us to be a disciple, a follower of you. And help us to encourage others to be a follower of you. Thank you for saving us, Lord, as this group has acknowledge that it, as far as they know, they're all going to heaven. And God, if that's true, help us to be wonderful disciples of others. Help us to encourage the people you put in our life to follow you. Help us to be a good example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.